this uh, antiphonally. So you are the congregation. Would you please stand? So uh, let us read uh, together as the congregation. And I am the king again. So I get the Dindy uh, jokes me at home that now that I'm the king, but okay. So uh, congregation, let's begin reading. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept all your offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant you all your requests. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give us a day to the king. Answer us when we call. Let's pray for Robin. Lord, touch our brother as he brings this message to us today. We pray this now in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Mark. That's not a gimmick, right? That's, that's, we're, we're doing this for a reason, these, these choral readings of, this, of these passages, because um, we're studying the royal psalms, well, four of them. There's 10 of them in the book of Psalms. We're, we're studying four of them this month. And one of the things about the royal psalms is that um, they're very public psalms. Thank you. They're very public psalms. Um, We've got a little bit of a ring here, Sean. Um, the, I mean, there's there's psalms which are very very personal, very private, you know, very very intimate almost, like Psalm five. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you, and wait expectantly. So there's this, there's really personal psalms. And then there's more public ones that are clearly written for temple worship, like Psalm 136, which starts, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of God, his love, God of, God of gods, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, his love endures forever. And so on for 26 verses. You know, it's clearly written to be sung in a call and response kind of context. But the royal psalms are a little bit different in the sense that they're often associated with events which we wouldn't necessarily think of perhaps as religious. So like last week, we talked about uh, Psalm 2 and the um, as a, um, as a uh, coronation psalm. And this one is... You've got to imagine the context for the psalm that you just read is 
um, an army gathering outside a walled city. And, you know, thousands of men with armor and swords and spears and all that noise and dust and horses and all that kind of stuff. And then the crowd gets up and announces this blessing on the king as he leads the army out into, into battle. Most of this, we actually don't know who wrote most of the Psalms. Um, the introduction to the Psalm says, for the director of music, a Psalm of David. But as most scholars would point out, the word translated off David here is actually the same word that's translated for the director of music. It's a very kind of versatile preposition in, in Hebrew. It can mean to, for, towards, from, away, into, off, about, depending on the context, okay? So it's mainly tradition that, you know, um, leads us to translate it as off David. It could equally well be for David or about David. And I think that's actually preferable. Because personally, it strikes me as a little strange to imagine David writing a blessing for himself and then handing it to people and say, say this over me. <laughs> you know, it's the kind of thing you expect. How many people here, here, here have seen Hamilton, the musical? About, yes, some people. You kind of King George III going, here, take this and say, say nice things about me. <laughs> anyway, that just doesn't seem out of character. That seems out of character for um, David, but maybe that's just me. Anyway, so let's, let's start by looking at the blessing that the people pronounce over the king. It has four main parts, that the Lord would protect him, help him, remember his devotion to God, and make his plans succeed. So verse one is, may the Lord answer you when you're in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Now, there's a very particular kind of distress in mind here, okay? It isn't the kind of distress that you experience when you realize you just left your wallet in a taxi that just drove off, okay? It's not that kind of distress. Or the kind of distress when you realize you run out of gas and isn't a petrol station anywhere nearby. That's not that kind of distress. It's a very different order of distress altogether. This is the kind of distress that you experience when you're in a war zone and your life is in danger. And it's interesting to me that the blessing here, the crowd, doesn't shrink from suggesting there will be times when their king, their great hero, will be in distress. There'll be times when he's afraid. And so they pray over him in those times that he will call out to God. That's implied because it says, may the Lord answer you, implying that the king is crying out to God. And they pray that in those times, he will call out to God, and God will protect him. Meryl and I pray something similar for our son Jason most mornings. He's in Ukraine, working for a humanitarian NGO. And we pretty much pray for his protection every morning. He says, you know, it could be any, just, just to bring to that in context, um, he's in uh, Dnipro, which is in the east, about 150 kilometers from the, it's not called the front line, it's called the line of contact. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, uh, and he says, you know, it could be, he could be in any other Eastern European city. He could be in Prague or you know, somewhere like that, except that every, you know, a few times every, every day there's, you know, air raid warnings. And every now and again something goes bang. Anyway, so, so we pray for his protection the same way as these, these people are praying for the king's protection. 
Verse 2, may he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. So actually, specifically in those times, they pray that God will send him help. But not help in the sense of reinforcements or equipment. No, they're they're not you know the the not expecting the Hebrew ancient ancient um, ancient Israelite version of H Mars to be you know shipped in so they can do so they can do shelling and stuff like that. No, no, it's actually saying that he will send help and support from God's own presence. Now I take that to mean that the king would have an awareness of God's presence with him. And that, that from that he would be able to draw the strength and courage that he needs to do what he needs to do. This isn't about some kind of practical help. You know, this is about actually strengthening the heart of the king with, a, with an awareness of the presence of God. Which explains why the next verse says, May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. The idea is that the king has been faithful to God. He has been faithful in following God. He's been faithful in keeping the covenant. And so as a result, he actually has a right to call upon God to keep his side of the covenant, which is to protect Israel. And then verse 4 says, May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Now this is a popular verse to put on cards and things like that, right? Yeah. It's, but I mean, we often do. We often take verses like this and take them out of context, right? Because this is actually, you know, this is not a generic blessing that God would give everyone the desire of their hearts and make everyone everyone's plans succeed. Um, you realize that that's actually, you know, not possible for God to make everybody's plans succeed because some people's plans are in conflict with each other. Yeah, right. So. So the classic one of that is the people in the summertime who want, you know, sunshine, so they go on holiday, and the farmers who want rain, so the crops will grow, right? Somebody's not going to get what they want. Anyway, so it's not like that. You can't invoke this as a promise that well, God will give you the perfect house, the perfect job, the perfect spouse, whatever it is, your perfect thing you want. No, this is, a, this is actually a blessing, a prayer, that the king will be successful in his defense of the people of God. That's what this is a prayer for. It's actually not about plans that benefit him at all, but plans that benefit the nation. I suspect that the desire of his heart, mentioned here, is probably A, that he not die in battle. I can imagine that would be one of his desires. B, that he win the battle. And C, that the people he is entrusted to lead would be, as a result, kept safe. I imagine those were probably central in his in his thoughts as he's going out to battle. And that's what the crowd's looking forward to as well, because verse 5 says, May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. So they're sending the king off to go into battle, but they're looking forward to his victorious return. And so they pray, May the Lord grant all your requests in order that that might be accomplished. So that's a blessing from the people and the king. How does the king respond? Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from this heavenly sanctuary with his victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. 
They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. This is actually a very humble response. The king doesn't actually talk about himself. You know, he doesn't even say thank you for the thank you for the blessing, right? Um, he talks about himself in the third person. He says, "The Lord gives victory to His anointed, rather than the Lord will give me a victory." Right? He, he talks about himself in the third person, and he keeps the focus on God's power, not the king's power. He says he answers answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with his victorious power of his right hand. And he goes on to expand that. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. He explicitly rejects trusting in military technology. He says, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. He explicitly, he's going into battle, right? And there's all kinds of guys with you know, swords and spears and whatever else they used in those days. Um, and But he explicitly rejects trusting in that and says, no, I choose to put my trust in God's faithfulness. Now, that doesn't mean that Israel didn't fight any battles. Of course he did, lots of them. And there's all kinds of records of battles in the Old Testament. But the ancient Israel had a very interesting view of military action. Their view was that the battle was God's, not the king's. If God was with them, they could overcome overwhelming odds. If God wasn't with them, then it didn't matter how many horses and chariots they had, they'd still lose. So you never see the king being blamed for military losses in the Old Testament. Instead, what happens when there's a military loss is there's deep national soul-searching to discover what happened. Like Psalm 108 verse 11 says, Is it not you, God, you who have rejected us and no longer go out with our armies? Not a word about the king's performance as a leader. It's all about God. And the assumption is that, as they say, there's sin in the camp that's acting as a barrier to God being able to fulfill his covenant obligation to protect the people. And we see that in the story of Achan in, the, uh, in Joshua 7, who stole some of the goods from the conquest of Jericho and kept them for himself. And as a result, Israel's armies lost the battle. See, in 1 Samuel 4, when the Israel's, Israelites trusted in the Ark of the Covenant, this box, as some kind of good luck charm, that he took the box with them into battle, they'd win the battle, when actually they were trusting in the box and not in the Lord himself. We actually don't have any record of David ever losing a battle. I'm not sure if that's, you know, that he, because he never lost a battle or because scripture presents him as the perfect king, the model king. And actually the model that he gives us is of someone who sought the Lord for guidance about what battles to fight. 1 Samuel 23, 2. He inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, go and attack the Philistines and save Kayla. Then 2 Samuel 5.19, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines again? Will you, will you deliver them into my hands? And the Lord answered him, go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. You could say that in the Old Testament, in their Old Testament political worldview, God was fully responsible for what in Canada we call external affairs. 
um, relations with the neighboring states, which in those days were invariably on the end of a spear. While the king was fully responsible for internal affairs, for justice within Israel. And we'll talk about that next week when we talk about Psalm 72. Now, before I go on to talk about applying this to our lives, I want to be explicit about one way we cannot apply this psalm or psalms like it. Now, I'm something of a student of history. Most of you who know me at all know that a little bit, uh, particularly military history. I'm not nearly in the same category as my son, Jason, who can tell you all kinds of history of Central Asia and the kings and all. Anyway, but um, it's something we talk about a lot. Um, one of the things you learn when you study history is that pretty much every nation that goes to war believes that God is on their side, right? Even if they don't believe in God, they believe that something bigger than themselves is on their side, right? So whether it's the inevitable, the inevitable triumph of scientific socialism, if you're a communist, or the inevitable triumph of the Aryan master race, if you're a Nazi, um, generally, though, it's God that gets roped in as support for national wars. That was true all through the medieval period where you had the spectacle of the Christian priests on both sides blessing the opposing armies and absolving them of sin because they were fighting on God's side. At least one of them was wrong, right? I would argue probably both of them were wrong most of the time. In the modern world, not much changed. Britain invoked God against Germany in the First World War and Germany invoked God against Britain. Um, now, personally, as a Brit, I find it offensive when I go to the UK and I see battle owners, regimental colors, hanging in churches there. I feel the same way when I go to Canada and I see the Canadian flag hanging in the church. For me, um, it's a lot like the Roman legions taking their banners, regimental banners, into the temple in Jerusalem. Um, I find that dangerously close to idolatry. You can disagree with me. That's fine. I know there's people here who have served in the military and you might disagree with me. But that's, that's my take on that. And today, right now, Russia presents its invasion of Ukraine as a battle for Christian civilization. And the Russian Orthodox Church supports that. All of these nations and those I have mentioned, and many of the believers in them, often make the mistake of taking a passage like this, which calls upon God to be faithful to his covenant promises to Israel, and then apply them to their own nation. You can't do that. That is an abuse of scripture. There is no nation, no political entity today with which God has entered into a covenant that obliges him to come to their aid. It doesn't matter whether it's British Israelitism in the 19th and 20th century, or it's offshoot in the US, it's known as the Christian Identity Movement, or Patriot Kirill of Moscow claiming God's support for the war in, in uh, Ukraine, or even the modern state of Israel. God is not in covenant with any of those political entities. And any time that we're tempted to claim that God is on our side in a war, we're on very dangerous ground. Now, that's not to say that you can't pray 
for God to protect your loved ones in the military. I'm not saying that. Of course you can. Just don't rope God in as support for whatever the battle is, as if he's obliged to support your country's military actions. Okay? Okay, let's get that, got that, got that out of the way, okay? How can we apply this to our lives today? Well, we might not be monarchs. We might not be kings and queens um, charged with military defense of our country against some external enemy. But we constantly find ourselves in all kinds of other battles. We heard about some of them this morning, struggles this morning that we deal, we, we deal with every day. We talk about sickness as a battle, don't we? We talk about our body's defense systems and about viruses attacking our bodies. We say he's battling long COVID or she's battling cancer. You'll often see in the obituaries something like so-and-so died at the age of 85 having lost their battle with cancer. Just to be clear, dying at 85 is having won your battle with cancer. Okay, Average life expectancy in Canada and the Netherlands, for instance, is 83. In the UK, it's 81. In the US, it's 79. Here in Turkey, it's 78. So if you live to 85, you've won your battle. Okay, Just saying. Another kind of battle that we face uh, from time to time is interpersonal struggles, right? Paul tells us in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I'm really glad, he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you. (laughs) And I hope we try to do that. But sometimes it doesn't depend upon you, right? And you end up in conflict with someone else. I know that on the Antalya Men's WhatsApp group, there have been conversations about rent increases, what's allowed, what landlords are asking, and whether to get lawyers involved. You know, these kinds of conflicts come to us, all of us, in one way or another. And our kind of struggle is emotional. I think that at least some of the some writers were very familiar with emotional struggles. They don't shy away from telling God how they feel, even if the emotions they're having aren't acceptable in polite company, or in many churches for that matter. When, when, when they express their anger and their frustration, it was wonderful to, I'm sorry, I forgot your name, uh, to you know, talking about how the rage welled up within her and she kept repenting of it and giving it back to God. God knows when you're angry, you can't hide it. What you need to do is own it, and give it to him, and he'll release you from it. This psalm is a promise that God is well aware of each of our struggles and wants to come to our aid. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. You know, you can pray scripture. Right? So this is a good psalm to actually pray. So if you're one of these if you're in one of those kinds of battles, you can pray this psalm for yourself. Or actually you can get somebody else to pray it for you because it's actually a blessing over somebody. A prayer for God to intervene on behalf of somebody else. And you can pray this prayer for somebody who's struggling. And when you get to verse nine, you might want to replace the king with the name of the person you're praying for. So these are all real battles that we have in our lives, but they're actually overshadowed by a greater battle 
That's a battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. The one that we're all involved in all the time. And all these things sap our strength and seek to turn us aside from following God. So we battle against the values of the world, right? Which is just an old way of saying the prevailing culture, the surrounding culture. The culture around us will try and make us comply with its way of doing things. As the Phillips translation of Romans 12 says, it will try to force us into its mold. And we battle against our own fallenness, our own selfishness, our own self-centeredness, what the Bible calls the flesh. And we battle against the devil, the spiritual forces of darkness that seek to do us sins. Paul says again in Ephesians, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When it comes to this, there are two extremes that people can fall into. At one extreme, you have folks who never think of the reality of the spiritual warfare that Paul talks about here. At the other extreme, you have folks who blame the devil for everything including the effects of living in a fallen world like sickness, or even the consequences of their own selfish actions and choices. Neither of those are healthy. We need to have a well-balanced view that we live in a real physical world that has physical consequences, but we also live in a, in a spiritual reality where we're battling spiritual forces. Now, the important thing in all these battles, all these situations, whether you're battling depression or sickness or fear or your next door neighbor or the devil himself, the important thing, the important thing to remember is that at its root, every battle is the Lord's. He is the one who can bring healing to your body. He is the one who can lift your heavy heart. He is the one who has defeated the enemy at Calvary. So in the same way that the the king trusted in God to give him military victory, we can trust God to give us victory in the battles that we fight. Because he is there and he is a very present help. Just one caveat to that. The king says that some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That doesn't mean the name of the Lord or God is just another piece of technology that you add to your, 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 you know, your array of things that you do for solving problems. You know, um, verse three says, may he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. What that means is, may he remember your faithfulness to him. Part of that faithfulness is having our desires, our values shaped by God's character. So to go back to the national wars for a minute, as a citizen of a former imperial power, I'm pretty sure that despite all the prayers and rhetoric in churches in the UK during our imperial greatness, greatness, I'm pretty sure God was not on the side of Britain as we expanded our empire at the cost of the freedom and wealth of other nations. Because God is generally on the side of the weak and against the strong. And like David, 
we need to know what battles God calls us to fight. We need to know what, in a sense, we need to know what side God is on. So we get on the same side as God. Rather than expecting God to be on our side. Okay? That's kind of doing things backwards. We need to find out where God's values are, where his priorities are, and get in line with those. And sometimes that will mean that we will be at odds with our own own nations, our own national leaders. David sought the Lord about which battles to fight and which ones to avoid. And we need to do the same thing. Because God doesn't fight fight our battles just because we are his children. He fights for what is right. And if we aren't doing the same thing, we might actually find ourselves fighting against God rather than having him fight for us. Okay. So, in closing, when you're in distress, whoever can, and yes, you know, leaving your wallet in the car, in the taxi, just drove around the corner is a valid form of distress, okay? Uh, <laughs> when you're in distress, call on God. He wants to help. When someone close to you is in distress, Call on God on their behalf. And you can pray this psalm for them. Remember that it's God who decides which battles need fighting. Listen to him and try and ignore the world, the flesh, and the enemy, all of which will try and get you fighting the wrong battles. And most importantly, remember that in the final analysis, It's God who's fighting the battle. Even if he chooses chooses to do it through weak vessels like you and me, the battle is the Lord's, and we need to trust him with that. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have won the ultimate battle on the cross. That we can stand here today redeemed with new life because you won the ultimate battle. You defeated the enemy at the cross. And Lord, we recognize that he continues to harass us. He continues to try and turn us away from you. Lord, help us to lean hard on you when we feel the attacks coming whether those are spiritual attacks from the enemy or whether they're emotional attacks, Lord, emotional struggles that we have just because of who we are as people and the the history that we've gone through or other reasons for depression, anxiety, things like that, Lord. Help us to lean hard on you in those times too. Lord, as we heard this morning, You can make a way where we don't even see a way. That you were battling for those who testified this morning. Even when they didn't realize they were in a battle. So we thank you for that, Lord. We pray for an awareness of your presence in the midst of all the things that we struggle with. And a willingness to give you the glory and the honor when we succeed and see the victory. 
Lord, we pray for um, the people of Europe. And as Mary was talking about, the UK being really dry. Nearly half of Europe is in a drought. Worst drought in 500 years. Same things happening in East Africa, Western US, Northern Mexico, all over the world, Lord. Um, People are struggling with extreme heat. Um, And I know, uh, you know, from our time in Pakistan, that extreme heat heat also means that people die just from heat exhaustion. So, Lord, we lift up all those who are struggling in the midst of this and ask for your intervention, Lord, that the temperatures would come down, that there would be rain, that um, those who are fighting wildfires would be kept safe. And Lord, Lord, we confess that a great deal of this is our own fault, Um, that we have treated your good creation with disdain, thinking that we could fill it with our garbage and it wouldn't have any effect. So, Lord, we ask your forgiveness for that. Pray for ourselves, Lord, that we would find ways, even small ways, that we can honor the beauty of your creation and honor your command to steward it in a way that glorifies you. Lord, we thank you that the uh, ship from Ukraine with uh, grain for Africa has arrived and is on its way to Ethiopia. Um, 20 million people in a food security crisis there. So Lord, we pray for that grain to get to the people who need it. Um, Because in war-torn countries, stuff doesn't always get where it needs to go. So we pray for those handling logistics um, in, in Ethiopia getting that grain to where it needs to go. Lord, we pray for the war in Ukraine. Particularly, Lord, we pray for this um, nuclear power plant. Uh, it seems to be at the center of uh, center of conflict. Recognizing that, yeah, it poses a huge risk to the whole area. So, Lord, we pray for restraint from those who are fighting this war. And Lord, we do rejoice with Nick and Amber for the blessing that uh, blessing of their adopted daughter now, Karis Marinjoy. Pray your blessing upon them. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would you would just bless them immensely as they bring this this baby into their into her family, and um, and in a few mo- couple months' time, bring her here and return here, Lord. I know it's been a long, long journey for them, many disappointments. So Lord, we're just so thankful that finally they have their adopted their adopted daughter. I'm going to invite you to. Pray with me as we say the Lord's Prayer together like we did last week. Um, please say, the, as I, I'll lead quietly, but say the Lord's Prayer in your own mother tongue, whoever that is, whether it's Turkish or Tagalog or 
whatever, Lord. The Lord knows all your languages. So let's pray together.